Welcome to another Joshless episode of Talking Smack, where we talk superheroes, movies, animation, comics, and just before the podcast, you missed an exciting 16 minutes about lawn maintenance care with experts Slade and Justin. Now, we're not going to toy around too much this time. We're just going to get straight into what is the biggest horror movie of the year, if not the last like four years, Five Nights at Freddy's. Before then, because as I said, Joshless, we have to introduce justin from the movie wire justin how are you this evening alex i'm fantastic i am excited to talk no i'm not i'm excited <laughs> to see you i'm excited to see you and slade of course so it's yeah. great to be here and slade from the game club pod how are you doing sir how is your lawn uh, my, my lawn's excellent but also i'm really happy to be here and to uh talk about the five nights at freddy's movie i'm also happy to get the you know little reunite with justin and everything Oh, it's uh, been a while, epi- Slade. It has. Our interview episode just went live. Uh, people who aren't sick of us by the end of this episode, you can go listen to that. It's a great conversation. Mm. Now, I did submit some questions for that interview, I, and I'm curious to listen to it to find out the answers, because I might, I will need to know if Justin has, in fact, betrayed me or not. He has. <gasps> <gasps> Spoiler, Slade. <laughs> no! <laughs> Let me just take the knife out of my back, put it into my heart. Well, I thought this it. was going to be an intervention. I thought you did listen to the episode, and this was just going to be like a gang up. <laughs> oh, don't make me laugh too hard. Before we get to my anger with Justin, uh, we have a promo for our friends over at the I Hate It, Let's Watch It. Hi, everyone. I'm Lisa. And I'm Dawn. And if you've ever watched a TV show and thought to yourself, oh my god, that season finale plot twist was absolutely bonkers. Or seen a movie and thought, wow, I need to talk to somebody about this train wreck immediately. Then we think you'll fit right in with our podcast, I Hate It, Let's Watch It. We watch TV shows like Riverdale and Emily in Paris. And movies like Deep Water, Killer Sofa, Rubber, and Deadly Illusions. And we give them the total rinsing they deserve. It's basically group therapy for movie masochists. So come check us out wherever you stream podcasts. I will say I actually really do like Killer Sofa. It's such a stupid movie <laughs> it's dumb have any of you seen it no no it literally is about a sofa that gets like imbued with evil with like a person's entity and tries to get back like at his ex it is so dumb i think i topped one last night that i don't think i can say on your show in the title but it is absolutely the worst movie i've ever seen in my life with the worst title i'm pretty sure we're adults only so you can say it it's called dick shark oh i've heard it, about it, that about a radioactive dick cream that turns your dick into a, a shark. That's a little, it's a little racy for the asylum. <laughs> <laughs> and that ties in perfect to my dick marathon because I saw Dick the Musical this morning. Uh, you should watch the Dick movie for, was it late 90s, early 2000s about the Watergate scandal as broken yes. by two teenage girls? <laughs> Great movie. I love that it's, movie. That's so, so good. the next episode of the movie wire is just called All Dicks and it's like four, <laughs> right? <laughs> Start with Dick, Dick Shark, and then we'll just do the grand finale of Dick's the Musical. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> as long as you, as long as you do the meme that you know the meme uh, Dick's out for Harambe during the episode. Yeah. <laughs> that's the thing. When see, that's what people don't realize when we record. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we're gonna get right into this. So after we give our trademarked 
talking smack review, you know, pass or complete garbage. I mean, must see or complete garbage fire. We're going to go full spoilers. So consider this your first of two alerts. Now, Slade. Yes. This massive hit movie only yes. tracking to open to 40 million made 60. Uh, sorry, 80. They ra- They actually each day were ramping it up of how much this would earn. Made 80 US, 140 worldwide. It kicked the ass of Exorcist Believer. It kicked the ass of Halloween's End. It was day and date released on Peacock, and yet it slayed in theaters. I did not mean to actually say slayed like that. But anyways, is this a must-see or a garbage fire for you? If you are a Five Nights at Freddy's fan... No prefacing things. uh, (laughs) So... I'll get into it later. I, if you're a FNAF fan, the answer is yes. It's a must-see. It's a love letter to the fan base. If you have no idea what this is about, I would never recommend this to you. Hmm. Justin, this movie single-handedly destroyed the myth that day and day release on streaming affects the movie theater experience. We heard that bullshit about Black Widow. We heard about Halloween ends. We heard about Halloween kills or continues, whatever the hell that bullshit is. We heard that these movies were underperforming because of this model and yet this movie came out it wrecked things it destroyed things so i must say to you you have now seen it 14 times three times in three times in theaters three times on peacock six times in your car while traveling back and forth to work is this must see or garbage fire i want to prefix it before that because your original comparison you're comparing garbage (laughs) to garbage here so (laughs) and to slade's point This has a fan base, so obviously people are going to see it multiple times. The theater that I was in, in, there was a packed theater. People went home. They saw it on Peacock. Uh, So you're going to see a lot of rewatches on this, but this one, 110%. I'd rather be cleaning the toilets in Five Nights and Freddy's than to see this movie again. It's it's garbage. It's a miss. Well, actually, it's called Freddy Fazbear's Pizzeria. Please. please (laughs) Oh, here we go. Now, before we get to spoilers, I have to say, did you, Justin, did you enjoy this more or less than Willy's Wonderland? I actually enjoyed Willy's Wonderland a lot more. Alex, did I, did you enjoy this? Somebody asked me that. Alex, Alex, did you enjoy this? Did you enjoy it? I really liked it. Let's go full spoilers. All right. (laughs) Hooray. I don't know if you know this, Justin. I recently got Alex to kind of deep dive into the, the series which is a headache in itself of a lot of things. But I'm, I'm really honestly excited to hear about Justin's point of view as a movie person and not, I, I guess, not knowing anything about this, maybe knowing about it through, you know, the osmosis of the internet. Like to give you an idea, me and my girlfriend watched it and she's like, if you weren't here to explain why that and this, like while we're sitting on the couch watching it, she's like, this movie would make no sense and I would hate it. But she would just pause it and be like, explain that to me real quick and, you know, have somebody to rapid fire it off. So with you knowing nothing, what what are you what are, what are we thinking about? Is it how the fort building scene is like the greatest cinematic piece ever? Oh, good God. No, I'm not a huge fan of Five Nights at Freddy's. I played the games. That's my extent. But walking in, I keep that mildly in mind of if it's targeting the fan fan base. But here's the deal. Here's my issue with Five Nights at Freddy's is You take even what people go, the original concept, you take the animatronic characters. So these are so short-lived in the movies. When they're on screen, they're short, it's quick editing. There's nothing really elongated about it. It's almost like our director, Tammy, has no confidence in these ridiculous characters. She doesn't believe in the characters. 
She doesn't have confidence in how these characters are utilized. And then we throw in these human elements that are the most uninteresting characters that I have seen on screen. There is nothing that keeps me attached to these characters. Then we take in the sub-conflict of the Aunt Jane and Attorney Doug that are direct generic copycats from the attorneys off of Casper that it adds that comic relief that just doesn't match the tone. So the movie is completely off balance to it. To me, there is nothing that really had a hook other than the anticipation of seeing the characters and when the, the animatronic characters and when the animatronic characters were on screen, even between the kills and the, the scare tactics, those were off balance. Sometimes we'll get something that's a little bit more edgy graphic and sometimes they just play it safe where we don't see anything. It's like the filmmakers had, couldn't make up their mind on the tone of the film. It was just, to me, a complete and utter mess of what they wanted to do with this concept. But in fairness, I will say in fairness, this isn't an easy movie to make. So you have to appease a lot of audiences on this. And I get that. So, right. But that's, that's my hugest issue with this movie is it did not hook me. Even playing the games on the basic concept of it, it, right. it just, I couldn't do it. Right. No, no, no. That's that's fine. Like I said, I think this movie is a love letter to the fan base over everything. I, I do agree that it's not perfect. I do get what you mean. Uh, so not I guess I don't want to sound like I'm defending like, oh, it's the best movie ever. But I know there was some problems with the physical props for the animatronics. A couple of them caught fire like during production. So I wonder if that you know, I that was in my mind when I was watching it, you know, and you would see some cuts here and there. You might see that was a warning for what was going to happen to the franchise. <laughs> well, it's, it's what happens to most things at the end of Five Nights at Freddy's. It gets burnt to the ground. A lot of the stuff, though. So I was doing a lot of note taking, and I know, Justin, you do notes as well. And Alex, I'm presuming you did, too. Oh, yeah. OK, so a lot of it was me checking like canon of, you know, things going on. Right. Like uh, vent crawling is an important part of some of the games. There is no buzzsaw killing face at any point. By the way, in the I was franchise, ask that actually, there isn't one. First of all, I'd like to say I hope we all agree that Matthew Illard's performance as William Afton tremendous at the end of the movie. God, I love Matthew Lillard. Do you have any thoughts on that, Justin? I think it was a pleasant surprise. I mean, to me, when he first showed up, I can kind of gauge where it was going to go because um, the film. There's nothing obvious. There's nothing subtle about the film. Just his performance. He kind of, kind of hinted at what was going to happen as his participation, but just his on-screen likability in the movie, I was yes. actually happy to see. At the end, it got a little too Scooby-Doo for me, um, only without Scooby, and it's like they tranquilized all the characters, but but Matthew Lillard, I think, did a fantastic job given the the material. Right. I, I was saying, obviously not here during the recording, but I guess back to your point about the, you know, the human characters that we're going through with Mike and Abby, who's like our main brother sister combo mike's our security guard mike schmidt played by josh hutcherson i think you could have replaced him with the dead sea bass and you wouldn't notice <laughs> the difference in the performance he was so tone dead you know what i mean with everything going just zero emotion behind his performance so i, I would like to backtrack slightly yeah go ahead from my experience with Five Nights Freddy's is I played them a few times when they originally came uh, originally came out. I had like an Amazon tablet, and for some reason they were free on there, and I grabbed them. So it's been about eight years before we did the lore episode a few weeks ago with you, Slade. And right. so now I haven't I you know wish listed them you know so I can get an alert when they go on sale because I no offense I don't want to spend full price on them right now, <laughs> but no, I have. 
I have read The Silver Eyes. I am 37% through The Twisted Ones, according to my Kindle. So a lot of what I am seeing in this movie right, that did make me happy is like, one, I hadn't seen the new Blumhouse logo in forever. That thing is badass, man. It's pretty cool. Yeah, it has a... It has like the Purge Girls. It has Michael Myers. It has the Happy Death Day. It has like the Black Phone, Insidious Bagul, Paranormal Activity stuff. I'm like, oh, that's right. Blumhouse is actually becoming a force to be reckoned with if you don't count the fact that they're fucked because of Exorcist <laughs> and spending $400 million on that dead ass franchise. But when, when it started settling in that beginning part where it's showing Freddie Fazbear's. Mm-hmm. I was like, holy crap, they actually paid attention. Now, mind you, Pirate Cove is in the wrong area. Pirate Cove, according to at least the books, is supposed to be its own area with its own little you know, pizza area where the little scary right. um, guy is. But I'm like looking at the drawings are on the walls. It has the arcade, has a setup of the The room looks accurate. I'm like, I am in a happy spot. So- and then Justin, uh, sorry, Josh Hutcherson shows up. And I'm like, why do you exist Right. Like, I get that you have to personalize and, like, everything for the security guard, but he's just, like, there's no, I don't feel like he has a good range of emotion. It's just, oh, okay, there's spooky things going on in my new job. Okay. Because with me, I like subtitles. Like, I watched it a second time with subtitles at home just so I can kind of grasp some of the dialogue. The dialogue, these cast members, and Josh Hutcherson isn't as bad as what we see him in this movie. Because the dialogue gives him nothing to work with. It's simplistic. There's no growth to the dialogue. There's no depth to it. It's pretty much a cardboard cutout that gets moved from scene to scene. So he can tell that there's a little bit, not lack of confidence, but constraint to not ruin the brand. Or he's not familiar with the branding of Five Nights at Freddy's, where he doesn't know where to step out of his element to it. Um, So there's a lot of elements to his performance that I think not necessarily at his fault, but at the same time, he had to know halfway through shooting that this is something that is not challenging his range and it's just going to be a paycheck for him. Absolutely. And I I could agree. I just, I don't know, maybe I'm being a little too picky with him. It could be the dialogue and maybe that's why he keeps, I mean, but even when he's cut up and waking up in, you know, the police station or whatever. There just seems to be no human reaction, you know, no like real panic or freaking out like you would think somebody would in that scenario. Yeah. Well, even look at this. I I think I totally get your point because even put it into when it comes to the custody battle, that would have been a perfect example for him to show some emotion, some range and to show just any reaction. But this is his sister that is potentially up for grabs on this evil or how they portray it and and there's no emotion from him whatsoever and that would have been a good segment for him to show something a little bit different even though he acknowledges that he shouldn't have abby but at the same time there is depth to that piece of it where he should have stepped out of his comfort zone to actually show an emotional element to him to give us something different to actually hook the viewer right absolutely um and then to go a bit on alex's point you know, you talk about how the stuff's laid out. I would say that this this game is a love letter to obviously the series, but the restaurant's location is clearly based off the first game, okay. but with the ending of the third game. Interesting. So at the again, we're gonna do major spoilers here, and like I said, this is where I think Matthew Illard really shines when he shows up as the killer. But the animatronics turning on him and causing his suit to malfunction, 
and then him being left, you know, to basically bleed out. That's that's the ending, you know, and technically it's one of the bad endings for the third game, which so, to me leaves plenty of room open for sequels. But we can get there when we get there. Um, a lot of stuff, though, really checks out, to be honest. I still kind of not happy with the Vanessa character being his actual daughter. She's mm. not supposed to be his daughter. She's his wife in the games, right? No. So Vanessa is like a game developer, essentially, that he brainwashes into his fake daughter. Oh, To okay. continuing the stabby, killy kid spree. Oh, okay. Again, I, I don't sit here and say that any of this franchise makes any sense, but, you know, just kind of going back and double checking things. So the basic premise of the movie is Josh Hutcherson character, Mike Schmidt, he has control of his daughter sorry his much much younger sister because the both parents are dead he works kind of like a security guard who has anger and other development um anger and emotional development issues due to when he was about abby's age his younger brother was kidnapped from right. um, a park of some kind and he's been haunted by this ever since the aunt played by mary stuart masterson who is cashing a paycheck but bless her for cashing a paycheck because within seconds of being on screen and declaring that abby's mentally ill because she likes to draw i was like i hate you <laughs> I, you cash yeah. that check yeah she she was in, <laughs> that's what that's why i think i think that's one of the things that makes josh's uh performance suffer so much because you get a two really good villains in the movie Oh, yeah. Who are putting it in, and it feels like he's holding himself back a bit. Yeah. The other performance is her attorney. Uh, what's Doug. His, Doug. Genuinely yeah. one of the funniest parts of the movie, where she's yeah. just all controlling over him and everything. Yeah. The the, the this diner scene where it turns out that, uh, that the person that Mike gets to babysit her also is like an informant to the uh, informant trying to dig up dirt, which the only dirt she can dig up is he sleeps a lot. Like yep. an odd hours. <laughs> and he's like, okay, so should we just kill him? The, the lawyer's like, I shouldn't be here. <laughs> yeah. I, I well, like that. But so as I'm reading the books and I'm watching the movie and there's parts that I really, really love and parts that I'm like, this obviously is just setting up the games and books. It is, it truly is a love letter of fans, but I do have an issue here and there. Right. Because Reading the books, the books are about uh, our books are about Charlie, whose twin brother was stolen when she was like three. And then those horrible things happened at uh, Freddie Fazbear's when she was like six and she left town and came back. And all this like stuff about dreams and the haunting and the like the child and recovering all that stuff. That's all her storyline. And in the books, you get like her mental development, her anguish, the issues, why she tries to sleep at times. The closer she gets to Freddie Fazbear's, the more that she is understanding what is things that she can touch things and understand and perhaps even change the past. That's all handed to like this Mike character and not well done. He, I, I actually liked Abby way more because when he's like, Hey, listen, if I ask you to stay outside, you can stay outside. She goes, no, <laughs> yeah. she, she immediately bonds and loves the animatronics and stuff. She is funny and interesting. I, I don't get why they kind of, gave this bland milk toast of a character as your protagonist. I mean, I'm assuming it's because they're expecting we're going to get at least a trilogy to flush this all out. Well, I think a piece of it would be one Josh Hutcherson, right? I mean, the name itself. I mean, he's other than Matthew Lillard. I mean, that's the name you're going to put on a poster. Let's, let's just call what it is on that. 
But right. here, here's the big, one of the biggest problems I have with Emma Tammy's uh, direction and even writing is the utilization of the screen time she uses. This movie, given the material that she has, should have been at least 30 minutes shorter. We have these overdrawn flashback dreamlike sequences. We have the same damn hallway that drove me nuts that every character has to run down to hit that single door that wouldn't open. And why security guard, the security guard has one key to the front door and not that damn door, I don't know. But the screen utilization is not appropriate when it comes to utilizing a story. It's the same scene we see over and over again, where even when we get to that campsite, I was just tilting my head back and just going, oh, because we're going to see the same thing. There's nothing different with it. The, and that's where we see the lack, I think, of confidence of describing these characters. I don't, and I spoke to it earlier, the confidence in the material. I've never read the books, but I can even tell there's gaps in it yeah. of stuff that they're not actually adding into it. Because you can't tell me for an almost two hour movie this is the best screen utilization we can get, and this is the most you can develop these characters. Take Josh Hutcherson out, put the put Abby in, and let's hear her story. I'd rather see her with the animatronics for two hours than I would see Josh Hutcherson going to the same damn campsite for two hours. Right, you're you're not wrong, and no, was, no, you are hundred percent correct. Right, and this movie was also a victim of production hell. I think it's been like what five or six years since it was announced in the first place. Twenty sixteen. Like, yeah, then it, somebody yeah. else had it. Then Bloomhouse picked it up, and at that point, yeah. when I saw Bloomhouse had it, I was like, okay, well, they have a good track record with horror. Let's, but we also need to say this movie not scary. There was one part that actually made me jump. The stupid hand reaching out of the of the mouth to grab to chomp that lady in half. Was not expecting that. I saw that from a mile away. A, it's in one of the trailers. Is it? It is. A, it's in one of the trailers. B, it's also one of the ways that like people were getting pulled into the suits. Okay, I did not know that. So knowledge of the franchise. That's, you know, so I knew that was coming from a mile away. So, okay. The thing that did get me, mm-hmm. like actually creeped me out quite a bit was when the Springlocks trip yes. on on Raglan. Yeah, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. On Matthew Lillard's character. William, uh, sorry, William, William Afton. Afton. Yes. Who was going by Steve Raglan. That was fucking painful. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't yeah. gory, but to s- the, the, the cushion, the, the, the locks and the mechanisms, and you see it pushing into the fabric and his twisting and grunts and and then that last scene of him where like the animatronics leave him trapped in that room where it's been like days apparently and he's still like twitching and pivoting in pain from like the gah yeah yeah so but no it's and, not really scary and so like that's that's the <laughs> result you know if you remember the the lord dump episode th- that's what happens at the end of the third game is that the killer gets bullied into the suit and then the spring locks snap into place and then he's just left there in a the back room well, that takes away some of the agency of um, of the Mike Schmidt character is that in the at the end of the Silver Eyes, Charlie's the one who punches the suit to make the, the thing all trap and kills him. Right. And in the games, Mike Schmidt's not a real person. Yeah, but William he's, Afton. He's is. Michael Afton, William Afton's <laughs> son. Now, see, Justin, here's where this gets really confusing, right? I'm taking notes. <laughs> <laughs> I do have I do have a couple other things yeah. in my little notes here. One of the things is for our character, Abby, the imaginary friend joke where she's like, my imaginary friend says you're stupid. (laughs) That actually that got a good chuckle out of me. Oh, yeah, that was great. That got a very good. Each one of the balloon boy jump scares also got a pretty good chuckle out of me. Yeah. 
just because of how startling they seemed. The other thing, there were two popular YouTubers in this uh, movie. One of them was the taxi cab driver. The other one was the uh, waiter at the restaurant. That's why they gave the waiter lines, huh? Yeah. I was like, why does this person have lines? So his, his, that one is <laughs> Matt Pat from Game Theory. And when he his big signature thing, and he ends all, all of his videos with this, well, that's just a theory. <laughs> and that's his last line in the movie. And when he said that, I audibly, I, I was like, fuck you. to to go to another thing when golden freddy arrived i thought that was fucking cool yes that was badass the way the body movement the way it's like too big for the doorway you see the glowing silver eyes that the suit sounds different the design is different and matthew lillard matthew lillard dean i thought that was fucking great wait do you mean do you mean golden bonnie or freddy Freddy, because he was like the yellow Freddy suit, right? No, Matthew Illard is wearing the golden Bonnie suit. It's got the ears. It's the rabbit. Oh, that's right. Okay, sorry. Sorry, the golden Bonnie suit. So, Justin, to fill you in a little bit, in the first Freddy Fazbear's restaurant was called Fredbear's Family Diner. There was two animatronics. Well, animatronics. There were people in suits. There was a golden bear and a golden rabbit. And the golden rabbit costume, obviously, is the one William Afton's wearing while he's stabbing kids. Got it. And so, yeah. but if you notice, the first one that he uh, killed a kid and stuffed into was the golden Fredbear suit. Mm. And that's the mm. one that the kid who's talking to uh, Mike the whole time, that's that oh, one. Okay. And the other kids in that dream sequence, you know, they're all an allegory for the different animatronics on stage that are like Abby's friend now. Got it. So I'll have a, I have a question in just one second though, but I do want to say that I do mm. like the design. I, I did like. Oh yeah. Yes. The ending, this is what I did like. I liked the lighting and I liked the final shot. And this was my favorite shot of the movie was uh, Matthew Lillard's uh, character laying there with his hand out, said and done one of the last shots at uh, Fazbear's restaurant. So you don't correct me, Slade. I was going to call it (laughs) Five Nights at Freddy's. Um, I did like that shot and I did find a lot of creepy moments. But when they kept to the basics, like when you see the animatronic staring at a black and white camera, and it's just you intimate with the, the monitor. That, to me, is the most impactful, and I really did like that. And when you actually do focus on the animatronics when they're up close and the lighting is on par, and it did remind me of playing the original games um, with the utilization of the lighting. I just think the shots were way too quick to really appreciate it. But here's my question. Yep. Is... We take all these elements of the fan base and slayed you brilliantly in your first statement saying, if you don't like Five Nights at Freddy's, this movie won't be for you. I, I appreciate that. And I love that. Do you think this story may confuse or let me rephrase? Do you think this will encourage people to seek out? Um, to me, that is an important piece of something that's adapted is if you want to make it, it's not mess. You have to appease fans, but at the same time, right. the second piece of it is encourage those to go seek out that material. So, and that was the question that I asked walking out. Did I find it motivational? And again, I played the games. I didn't go into the lore of it, but right. did I feel the need to go home and play the games? The answer to me is no, but I would be absolutely curious to those that do know about it. If you felt that. So and I, this goes back to how my watch experience was, right? Like, I feel like somebody like you would say, nah, I'm not interested. You know, the maybe the average moviegoer as well would say, nah, I don't want to go more into, you know, depth or whatever. That was okay. Oh, my nephew likes Five Nights at Freddy's. Let me ask him. You know, I think that may be, and maybe from there you have more intrigue sparked. But from the movie itself, no, I don't think so. Mainly because the lore and everything of this whole series 
is such a mess that I really don't think this would encourage anybody who's not a fan of this to go further down into the, you know, no pun intended, rabbit hole that it is. I actually completely agree with that because what I was watching with this is I was really excited about the little like little things. And I actually wanted to ask you, Slade, more things like Mm -hmm. on the second night, the white top hat boy, his face blurs and melts when Mitch is talking to him. Why? All right. So the. Well, the top hat, essentially in the game, Golden Freddy comes in and out at random, seemingly random. There is a way to, to predict it, but he'll also melt in and out on posters on the walls in the games. And you'll probably be too busy panicking, looking for the animatronics to notice this kind of thing in the background. Again, for somebody who's dug through and noticed these things, that's kind of a, oh, thank you for paying. It's like when you see It's Me on the wall in the first game on the like newspaper clippings i think it's in like in camera seven or something but they'll change and they'll say it's me and then you go look at another one and instead of like the party plates hung up on the wall they're supposed to be like smiling happy people they will be crying faces and like sad kids so it's again and there's a lot of things i mean even like as simple to the ball pit in the movie where abby goes and hides that's a reference to one of the books the only difference is that the ball pit isn't time traveling which is the thing. And when I say this franchise is a muddy mess, I genuinely mean it. But, you know, things like the storage room being where William's over there, you know, twitching on the ground. That's correct. Even tasers are correct. Maybe not to the seventh, you know, until the seventh game. That's when you get a taser for the first time. But it's, you know, it's accurate. I don't. A, so, lot, of, a lot of things were done right, like where the animatronics went, like during the night. For example, like when um, there's a part of the movie where... Uh, Aunt Jane has hired some people and they're going to like break in and try to make Mike look like a bad security guard. So they break in during the middle of the day when he's only the security guard at night. Right. And the animatronics get their kills in their signature known places. That was something I noted. Like, that's correct. You know, Bonnie goes to storage. Chica goes to the kitchen. Foxy runs down the hall and gets the last kill. Like, you know, 10 out of 10. That's where you should be. So while listening to this, I think I've realized something. Mm hmm. As a fan of currently the books, and I understand I'm seeing the things that I like in there, like the, the sun gun thing, the way the, the pictures are being done, the way mm-hmm. the suits look, the way everything's happening, the 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 sound design of like hearing little things. I've realized something. Hmm. This movie is actually too early. You think it's too early? Yes. So I would say if I was to take this movie and put it to like, say, like for a different franchise. This is movie is either is Freddy's uh, Nightmare on Elm Street's Dream Warriors, uh, Friday the 13th Part 4, where he gets the mask, or like Halloween 5, where it's so deep into the franchise, it's mainly made for the fans who are going to show up every fucking movie and be like, oh, that's this, there's this, there's this, versus actually being something made for general audiences to accept and like. Right. And that's I, I just have to I, I don't want to feel like I'm defending this movie because I don't think it's yeah, I don't think it's oh, no, no, no. great. I but like it. It is. It is a <laughs> it's a love letter to the fan base. That's all it is. Yeah. Somebody like me no. who is, you know, that little part of my brain rent free is the lore of this. You know, yeah, it, it just lives there. I really do appreciate movies like this because I think on your show slate, I spoke to Super Mario Brothers being kind of my guilty pleasure. Right. So uh, there are nostalgic things or things we love to do that attach ourselves to and me myself a lot of movies i do that too that i'll find just things that resonate in my memory or things that i enjoy doing outside of the theater that the movie speaks to and i do appreciate movies that do go after the fan base Mm -hmm. 
And I think there's something special about that, especially if it encourages people to go to the theater. If this wouldn't have come to streaming and it wouldn't have gone to theaters, I think I would have appreciated it that more on the aspect that it's bringing kids, fans into the theater to enjoy as an audience together. But I want to say for just as a film, this should have been straight to streaming, but with its intent, I would have loved to see this in the theater for to encourage people to have that experience. That's what I would have appreciated more from it. But the fact it came out to both confuses me a little bit, given I know there's a marketing campaign and I know there's a strategy to it, but I don't really care. I care about the experience of having people go to the theater and either walking out of the movie wanting to learn more or enjoying it and just having a good time with the fan base and the material that's presented to them on screen. See, I don't. I, I told my wife that she might like it because she likes things that have a lot of heavy lore. She's she studied anthropology when she was in school, so uh, so when she's crafting her D and D games, things have to make sense in her head. Things have to like line up, and you can't just be like, "Well, there's sixteen goblins here because you're gonna have sixteen goblins." So I was like, "I actually think you might enjoy the lore of this. You should like read the wiki and then you know let me know if you want to watch it again because I, I am gonna watch it again." But the thing that bothers me about this film is that there's really bad writing, like. Why is a night guard going to get fired for people breaking in during the day? Right. He's he's not. Yeah. And that's where you come into the the what is the complicated character of Vanessa? OK, but then there's the, here's the other thing that I find interesting. There is a good writer who was looking at the script because uh, the thing about Abby is that she doesn't like, you know, she doesn't like to go to bed on time. She doesn't like to eat, et cetera, et cetera. But after the first night where she's playing with the animatronics, what does she do? She sleeps. And then she eats. Her needs are fulfilled as a character. She's had growth and progress. Those are things that are not being done to Mike Schmidt. <laughs> right. Those are things that are not necessarily being done to Vanessa. Because Vanessa immediately, I mean, one, it's obvious she's, uh, Vanessa's there. I mean, I think the actress was fantastic. She's immediately charming and fun. But it is a poorly written character where like she shows up in a rainstorm and walks around like, oh, yeah, I know this place. And then the, the little music thing starts and she's like, you want to dance? And I'm like, somebody wrote quirky. Right. Run. Run with it. Mm -hmm. You know, and then Expedition dumps later about how to fight these things and who she actually is, et cetera, et cetera. I am hoping that, I mean, this is going to get a second movie, if not a trilogy easily. I'm hoping the <sighs> second movie that <laughs> these things that they've laid down the dream theory, William Afton, Five Nights at Freddy's existing, you know, Vanessa, I'm assuming is going to come out of her coma or I don't know. I'm not deep enough into books. Maybe there's a dreamscape where you go into the dreamscape and can wake people up because, you know, might as well do dream warriors while you're at it. Right. So, and like, what are the five Cause the kids are trapped as ghosts, but they didn't release the kids from the ghost suits. Kids are still in the suits. So I'm assuming that's going to have to be all. I'm hoping that this really poorly shoddily laid foundation actually develops into something worthwhile in the second and third one because unlike most horror movie franchises where they put out a movie i mean obviously let me you look at uh, friday the 13th they did not expect to make more than one of those things <laughs> um halloween one and two they did not i mean they only wanted one halloween movie they did a kind of angry second one then they tried doing the anthology and then around the fourth or fifth one they do stuff i mean the jason we all think of doesn't show up until the hockey mask of the fourth one the Alex, I am, Freddy isn't till the third movie, you know. I'm hoping Alex, with the strength and lore that this is good. What's up? Alex, I'm kind of upset with you right now because <laughs> we're you. having, yeah, we're having this conversation about fantastic <laughs> horror movies, like the first edition, Friday the 13th, Halloween, and you're integrating that in, 
you're trying to piss me off. No, 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 no. I, but I, I get what you're saying. Yeah. <laughs> but no, no. Defend yourself, Alex. You're getting okay. me all hot. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, Nightmare on Elm Street, Friday the, thir- Friday the 13th, Halloween. Those are perfect original standalone movies that they then cobbled lore onto that fell to shit. And by the third or fourth ones of all those movies are like, we, we've, we've nailed something together. We know who we're going after. Friday the 13th. He has a hockey mask. He has a machete. We need to see boobs. Cool. Book it done. Friday the 13th. He makes quips. He does really gross things and cool kills. Cool. Book it done. Halloween. He kills people. Go. Book it done. <laughs> so I'm hoping that this franchise actually has an idea of, hey, listen, we put out this one. We know it's trope. It's for the fans. It looks like cr- it, the plot is is bad. The main character is unappealing. But I hope but they sh- put enough seeds down that something beautiful grows in the second, third one. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, next one, you know, like you said, we can call it Five Night at Freddy's 2, Dream Warriors, put them in space. And you know what? I'll watch that one. You're making jokes, but it's all things that's happened. I know. (laughs) It's all all things that's happened. Is there Dream Warriors? They can probably take every dream scene from the first one and just easily put that into a two hour movie in the second one. So so like the fourth game is based on dream theory. And that's, you know, in my notes here, it says dream theory game, you know, game four, a little check mark off on it. Freddy in space is a part of one of the games called FNAF World. It was like a 16 bit RPG. (laughs) I know, Justin, I I feel you. I feel you. Again, this lives rent free in my brain. How do you think I feel? Okay, it's like this whole this thing was planned. God, this is like some kids game conspiracy. We're going to have all the elements. We'll have space. We'll have time travel. God. Okay, so the next one, I'll be happy with the time travel aspect. I'd love to see these animatronics during the Revolution War. Oh, my God. Good Lord. I'm excited, actually. Can you imagine Five Nights at Freddy's? Stop. uh, Stop. Roman Empire. (laughs) (laughs) They're the Praetorian Guard. The animatronics of Praetorian Guard, they're the ones who are deciding who is the emperor, who will live, who will die. <laughs> well, in okay. So in fairness, if they loosen up a bit and not overcomplicate this damn thing, I think they have a good movie here. And I think if they do, which they will, do a sequel. One, get rid of Emma Tammy. She was a horrible director. Keep her away from any written dialogue and put somebody that has a passion for this material. We can tell Tammy had no passion whatsoever with this written material. And this I, this script went through rewrites. I looked at the production. You know, it went through production hell. And this is the result of it, which is fan-based. I get it. But you can throw whatever Easter eggs and stuff into it. But at the same time, that's easy for the audience to comprehend. So we need the fun factor to it. What brought the what brought people into the game in the first place is the appeal of it. They need to do the same thing to the movie to gain a new audience and still appreciate the clientele that they have that appreciated the uh, IP for this long. I, I, I mean, I would agree with that 100 percent. And I don't I really didn't. I, I had no expectations going into this, but I even as a fan, as fan servicey as it is. Half of me wants to say it's good. Half of me wants to say that it's bad. It drags in a lot of places. A lot of times it feels like there's a lot of filler to it that just shouldn't be there. There's some lackluster performances. But at the end of the day, you know, when I'm when I'm watching it and then I see like y- y'all may not have noticed it, but in the background at one point, there's like past security guards 
on one yep. of the walls, and it's a bunch of very popular YouTubers who've played the game. It's all photos that's of cool. them, you know, and you get neat little stuff like that. And you're like, oh, that's great. Oh, the pictures on the wall depicting things. That's a reference to a book, you know, when Abby goes and changes it like that. That's that a reference cool. to one of the, the books. I'm like, OK, that's pretty cool. You know, it's fan servicey. I don't know if I like it or not. I'd recommend it to another fan, but I, I, I wouldn't recommend it to Joe Schmo on the street. Yeah, the way you speak to it, Slade, I mean, you've given a lot of detail and dialogue, so I can picture it. You've painted that picture for me right. of it doing fan service. So um, it's a lot more clear to me because and open and honest, I after going to the movie, I didn't want to invest after a second viewing more time into seeing what reactions are to people that already love the, the branding of it. Right. But there, I've learned a lot from what you're saying. And there is a lot to this story that does, that will probably be told and it creates a better picture for me. So I think you've created a lot of great details for uh, listeners to see who's this movie really made for. And I think that there's a great appreciation to that. Yeah, I, I think that's what I think. Again, and I know I've said this it's for the fan base, but I don't think it's for anybody else. I really don't. Alex, can I talk about the spaghetti shot at the end? Because I, I actually, it's driving me yes, crazy. Yes, yes. I, I will gladly, gladly have you do that. But <laughs> all right. I would love to hear about the spaghetti shot because that's the one you're going to complain about. <laughs> So I was thinking of the directing of this and how stuff was just weird. Like there were moments where they obviously they knew these were the money shot moments, like silver, uh, golden Bonnie showing up the original, just touring and letting what money they spent on recreating it in there. The cupcake, what the fuck is with the cupcake? Because there's one scene and this pisses me off because to, to, to reference this bad movie to another bad movie, uh, the force awakens, you have BB eight who's like, they're going to that temple area and BB eight's rolling up. Everybody starts walking up the stairs. BB-8 gets to the bottom of the stairs, and then they cut to the top of the stairs, and bb is like, rolling. I want to see the insert shot where somebody picks up BB-8 and carries him to the top and sets him back down. Who the fuck write, uh, righted, corrected, whatever, the cupcake? Because it was on its side, and suddenly it's on its – and then suddenly it's, like, it's uh, right side up, and then, like, leaps and attacks somebody. Who the fuck – like, that bothered me. Did they – could you not spend – three dollars on cgi to like have the cupcake tip up or put it like a little piston in its side to knock it up like what tilted it what moved it that bothered me so much the, because if the cupcake is, is sentient enough to travel and move and traverse through vents and other areas why can't you show the little piston shot i mean in doctor who they got the dialects the the dialects they were always like well dialects can't travel upstairs and it shows actually have jets and they actually do move upstairs because they jet up them so anyway little, sorry. little qualification on the cupcake <laughs> so in the games the cupcake is not the thing that kills you except for an ultimate custom night which is like William Afton's hell where every you know every kid that he's ever killed is going after him right right so the cupcake other than that is not one but in FNAF three. The cupcake unlocks one of the minigame Easter eggs that helps you move on to the good ending. But the cupcake moves around the cameras and you have to, like, find it in, I think, four or five different cameras before you can continue on okay. the night. All right. So, Justin, we're going to end with spaghetti. But first, I, I, I want to ask. So you had told me to look for spaghetti to see because I hadn't seen it yet, but to look for it so that I could be aware of the terribleness of spaghetti. Is it the first inset inset shot? where she had mentioned she wants spaghetti and they have like you can see like her torso and there's like a big fucking glass of milk in front of it is that no. the shot okay 
Well, I love to play a game in movies that I just don't entertain me. Instead of playing like Where's Waldo, I try to play Where the Hell's the Editor. And this one... <laughs> I really like this game. I like this game. I'm in, I'm in, I'm in. And I can, I can do a whole show on the mistakes of shots that I caught in this movie, especially during the second viewing. But the one that was the final forte, the one that just almost made... I was halfway out of my seat. I almost didn't let the movie finish. Was... And it's going to sound really petty, but this movie made me petty. Is you have a plate of spaghetti on the final shot. There's mm -hmm. four different plates of cut spaghetti every time they cut away. One's sauced, one's not. One's turned to the left, the other one's not. You have these four different cut scenes. And okay. my biggest pet peeve is why the hell are we having four cut edit shots back and forth of a damn plate of spaghetti? Keep to the wide angle shot. Keep to the same shot. If you know you suck at editing, get a wide angle shot, get the two in <laughs> shot and call it a fucking day. See, I thought it was going to be because I actually got to the end and I jumped back to him like, okay, what about the spaghetti? And I noticed that there's a really poorly like insert shot of like the plate being blocked. But then I noticed that Mike Schmidt is talking to her and he like twirls the spaghetti Sets his down, fork down, twirls it, kind of lifts it at one point and puts it down. And I was like, he's never taken a bite of that thing. That thing's been there for hours and it's cold <laughs> and I they was, couldn't bother to reheat it between takes. I was thinking that and the I'm meatball like, count changes was what I was does. thinking about. Yeah. The, it, the, yes. It does. <laughs> probably because he probably because he like picked up his fork, swirled it, and then put it down and covered a meatball. So it was like three instead of four. Yep. No, the uh, meatball. Uh, it's just the, gone. It's gone. It's gone. There's no meatball. Like, you have half a meatball in one. You have a half-eaten one in the second shot. And there's even shots where Hutcherson has a different shirt on. Like, good lord. Okay, I'm gonna have to look for that. I did not notice the different shirt because I was so focused on the the non the non Indian spaghetti. Like, I had to look up. I, I, I've gone on my rant. No, Blood pressure's going up. I got to call it a day. You're, you're fine, Justin. Like I said, I thought you and I were gonna hate on the. Uh, the tent building scene my girlfriend looked at me and she was like is this in the games and i'm like no this is just really fucking stupid <laughs> <laughs> okay so i have a question i do have a question for you yep they can tickle so the animatronics when they're playing with kids are supposed to be really gentle is the thing they're supposed to be like the perfect babysitter you know in like a chuck e cheese-esque restaurant they have free range and free movement of the entire place except for one room. And they, yeah, they should be like the perfect babysitter, great with kids and never hurt any of them. They, some of them are designed with like, after a lot of the killings, again, this is something I didn't get to cover much in the lore episode. After a lot of the killings, a lot of them were integrated to like a FBI database for like predators and killers and whatnot. And they... That's why the eyes get really mad at Mike at first, and they're very gentle to Abby. That's like a little detail. And you remember I brought up in our lore dump, pay attention to the eyes of the animatronics, because that is yeah. that that is an important part of the overall plot. Okay. And it would make sense in your chain restaurant, you know, if you don't want kids to get killed again after a bunch have, that's something you would do, you know? Okay. The technology obviously shouldn't have existed at this time, but whatever, it's fine. There's magic meatballs that move around and giant animatronic robots that can free room. Oh, okay, 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 last thing, last thing, and then, yes, we're ending the stamping. So, Freddy leaves to go find Abby. Kills, you know, they kill um, kill Aunt Jane, 
rightfully deserved it. Well, because I just hated her. I hated her the moment she was she was around. But anyways, did they hitchhike? How the hell did they get there? That's because that's they call an Uber. I mean, well, sorry, they call a taxi because this is like the nineties. They call a taxi, which does have that funny gag of the you know the truck, uh, the taxi listing to one side when he gets yeah. inside of it. I did like that. Did they walk there? No. So in in the series, Golden Freddy is kind of like an instant kill, game over thing. When Golden Freddy happens. And Golden Freddy can just teleport room to room, doesn't have any rhyme or reason. So why can he teleport her back to the place? He has to go back with her physically. He can't warp her. He can warp himself, but nobody else. Okay. Because if Golden Freddy could warp anybody, then, you know, the games would be too hard. They just warp you into the warp, you know, somebody into the security room with you and kill you immediately. Can't they just time travel? That's only in the ball pit. I got it. So got only it. in the ball pit. <laughs> Fuck this movie. Anyway, so thank you to <laughs> thank you, Slade, for joining us. Slade, is there anything you would like to talk about during our exit here? <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, my name is Slade. You can find me at Slade Plays Games on pretty much everything. You can also find me on the Game Club Pod. I have a sub series called Between Two Pods. If you like Justin and I's back and forth, you can find the two of us on the most recent upload of that. We had a great conversation. And uh, you can also find Alex for half of the Talking Smack episode of Between Two Pods. <laughs> Justin, thank you for for showing up. I highly recommend for your blood pressure that you at least have a beer, maybe three. Just relax. Read that Roger Ebert book again that you have in that background. Calm yourself. Go to your happy place. Your voice is soothing to me, Alex. Thank Talk you. to me more. Don't suck up to him. You didn't in the Between Two Pods episode. <laughs> oh, I'm listening to that. And I'm going to get pissed. <laughs> <laughs> so, Justin, where can we find you? You can find me wherever you listen to podcasts at the Movie Wire. You can follow me on any of the socials at Movie Wire Show. All right, let's get out of here, everyone. Thank you. Uh, yeah. So you can follow. You can follow Josh on Elon's website at Josh underscore Scar. You can follow us at Talking Smack Pod on basically any social media out there. You can join our Discord at tsmackpod at gmail.com. Thank you to Leo Allen for our musical themes and Beppo Original Air Studios for our avatars. And music this weekend, well, like this weekend, this episode has been remixed by Eminem, who has just released his own line of Mom's Spaghetti. Has better continuity bottle to bottle than the Five Nights at Freddy movie slash shots. Make sure you watch Attack on Titan. Oh.